Well, hey, we want to welcome you and uh, every location. So right now, Hilliard, glad you're here. Westerville, welcome. Those of you at the Short North Campus right now, glad you're here. To every person walking through these doors for the first time, it is an honor to serve you. And a special welcome to the men and women joining us today at three correctional facilities. Come on. We're glad. We're glad to be with you. You, you. you might not be able to be with us, but we can be with you, and it is an honor to be with you. And um, I'm going to be with the men at our Orient campus today. 60 men signed up to get baptized. Come on, somebody. So can't wait for that. You are a part of this family, and it is an honor to serve you and to be with you. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but today's the last... Um, message in the series we've been in now for five weeks called this is who we are we actually next sunday start our christmas series y'all y'all can you believe christmas is like that close come on anybody excited about christmas season i like christmas because i like presents I, I don't even care i'm not trying to hide it i just like i like giving presents i like getting presents anybody just a, you, you like presents is that why you like christmas come on raise your hand up high i know it sounds selfish as long as you give and receive that's all i'm saying well, Christmas, our Christmas series starts next week, and um, I'm telling you, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. We have three Sundays before the start of our Christmas Eve candlelight worship experience, and um, I don't know if you uh, paid attention to the announcement, but we have 19 Christmas Eve candlelight services this year. Come on, somebody. 19. 19. 19. So why do we do 19 services? We do that because we want to make it absolutely impossible for your family and friends to say no to you this Christmas. So when you say, hey, why don't you come to a Christmas Eve candlelight service with me Thursday night? They're like, oh, I can't. I got to work. What about Friday? Got to work. What about Saturday? Ah, oh, you know, it's my day. How about Sunday? Um, okay, so we're off Monday this year, but how about Tuesday? How about Wednesday? I don't even know. I think Wednesday is Christmas. So 19 services. And um, here's what we know about people. It used to be that, that people were, were most likely to walk through the doors of a church during the Easter holiday, but now it's changed. So now people are most likely to walk through the doors of a church for the first time or to say yes to an invitation at Christmas time more than any other time of year. People are most receptive at Christmas time to hear the gospel, to walk through the doors of a church, to say yes to you. And so we just want to make it easy for you, 19 opportunities to, to get to and to bring somebody with you to a Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have invite cards available for you. When you leave today, take a few, take a few and pass those out. We have uh, door hangers in stacks available for you to canvas your community, your neighborhood. And I just want to encourage you to be praying about somebody. Be praying for somebody. Don't just invite them, but be praying for them. Start now. And if you can imagine praying for them every day for the next 21 days, for the next three weeks, and then you make the invitation, I, I just have a feeling that the Lord is going to do something incredible. And uh, I also just want you to know that never will you uh, be more in love with the worship experience and, and never will you remember more a worship experience than the one that you had somebody sitting beside you. And while we were praying and, and while, while, while the Lord was ministering to people, you kind of peeked over and uh, saw that God was doing something in the heart of the person that you brought with you. I'm telling you, you'll never forget that moment. 
And so be, be, be prayerful toward the people that God has put in your life that you can bring with you and invite this Christmas. Also want you to write down this date, December 15th. If you could, write it down. It is our Legacy Sunday, Sunday, December 15th. And our Legacy Sunday is the, the day that we will be giving our year-end Legacy Christmas time offering. And uh, the reason we're giving you lots of heads up about that is because I don't want any, anybody to give um, a, a year-end offering because you felt pressured to. I want you to pray about this, and I want you to plan to participate. We're giving you lots of time. But the reason we do this every year, we take up a, a, a year-end Christmas time legacy offering, is because everything we're doing now and accomplishing now, it gets fueled and funded by what we're giving now. But every year, God gives us bigger vision. And, and that bigger vision for us to do more, for us to, to take hold of the bigger things that we believe God has for us in 2020, it just means giving more. And so we take the end of the year, we save our most sacrificial gift for the end of the year, and we give it toward this year-end Christmas time legacy offering so that we can do all that God has called us to do in the new year. And every year, we, we've had four areas of focus, really, um, for quite a few years, four, four areas that we've been particularly focused on and then every year in these each of these four areas God will give us specific vision for each of the four and I just want to real quick tell you what those four areas are and give you just a few of the big uh, vision items that we believe God is calling us to accomplish in 2020 so if you want to know what does this year-end legacy offering go towards it goes toward this number one toward reaching the unreached we, we, we're reaching people here, but we also know that there are parts of the world, particularly the 1040 window, where very few Christian churches exist. And, and uh, we're all about supporting pastors and missionaries and planting churches in parts of the world where very few Christian churches exist. We believe that in 2020, we get to further our work in the Middle East, throughout India, and all throughout Central America. We get to support more pastors overseas. We get to plant more churches than ever before to reach the unreached. The second area is growing the church here. And the, the reason we believe in growing the church here is because we know that about 80% of the people in our city don't, aren't a part of a church. About 80% of the people in Columbus, Ohio, they're not a part of a church. We also know that as much, many as 90%, it's, it's very close to 90% this year, 90% of the first-time guests who walk through the doors of any one of our campuses are making a personal decision for Jesus Christ. Come on, church. That, that's worth celebrating. 80% of our city is unchurched. 90% of the guests that walk through these doors for the first time are making a personal decision for Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, number one, it means we've got eyes on more campuses. We have two locations that we've identified on the east side of our city. And we would love for 2020 to be the year that we plant a campus on the east side. Come on, somebody. And then we also know that we, we have 35 acres now to work with in the heart of Polaris. We purchased the, some, some um, acreage in Polaris. We purchased a church in Polaris. And uh, what, what an incredible gift God has given us. But here's what it's going to require. In Polaris, it's going to mean we're going to have to um, build a ton more parking, just a massive parking lot so that we can bring people in, expanding the, the entrance from, from Gemini Parkway onto those church grounds. It's going to mean building an auditorium similar in size, if not bigger than the one that I'm standing in right now, because we've got double the land there than God gave us here. Praise the Lord for that. But we've got a lot of work to do in Polaris, and so that that's a big ticket item for next year. And then also expanding this campus. We, we uh, left some green space on the end of this campus uh, off of our kids' wing area because we knew that if, if we were to outgrow this space, one of the first parts of the building we'd likely outgrow is our kids' space. 
And so we're looking now at 2020 as the year that, that listen, we're, we're likely to expand this building and, and make it possible for us to minister to more and reach more kids, families, children, youth right here. And um, church, I know this is kind of crazy sounding. It's crazy to me, but it might not be crazy to God because he's never had a problem giving us big vision. We, y'all, y'all are not a part of a church that, that is afraid of big vision. Sometimes it freaks me out, but we still move forward. And um, just those two projects alone will likely cost 8 to $10 million just to get them started. And so why don't you turn to the person next to you, say big vision. Come on, just say big vision. Let's just, let's just, acknowledge, <laughs> let's just acknowledge God is a God of big vision. And um, I really do believe we have everything we need. Everything is in our hand to do everything that God has called us to do. Third, third area is increasing our local outreach expanding the reach of the Columbus Dream Center, adding three to five more prison campuses in the new year. And then the fourth area is disaster relief and church planting. We, we plant churches nationwide in cities just like this through the, the network that launched us, that, that was a part of sponsoring us. It's the Association of Related Churches. We're planting churches all over the place. And um, matter of fact, I, I think we've, we've been a part of, since we launched, we've been a part of um, launching almost 700 churches. It may be more than 700, but it's really close to 700 churches nationwide. And uh, disaster relief, you know, to, to be the, the hub of hope in our city when disaster strikes, to provide relief for families in need. We're bringing on a brand new partner this year called Convoy of Hope, and they're going to make it possible for us to get resources more quickly to those who are in disaster zones and in need of help and hope to get boots on the ground more quickly. And so I, I just want you to see some of the vision that God has given us. And, and again, just to begin to pray for and plan to participate in this year's year-end Christmas time legacy offering. And if you would just join me right now in prayer, let's ask the Lord to bless that. Let's ask the Lord to bless this Christmas season and even here now in this time we have together. Jesus, thank you for, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what's to come. I pray, Lord, that as we step into the new year, 2020, may it be just an absolutely incredible year. God, as we prepare for our year-end legacy offering, may we give more and be more generous than ever before so that we can accomplish more than ever before. As we prepare for Christmas, Lord, lay somebody on our heart that we can invest in this Christmas, invite this Christmas. And God, even here now, it's Baptism Sunday. We're excited about what's about to take place. Lord, speak to us like only you can. Minister to everyone by the power of your Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, one more time. Would you put your hands together for Jesus today? Come on. Can we just honor him? Well, hey, if you have your, your, your notes, I would love for you to pull them out. We're, we've been studying the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts, <clears throat> excuse me, the book of Acts is, is a historical account of the early church. So when we read the book of Acts, we're reading the history of the church, in particular, its beginnings. And what we know about the church is that Jesus started it, his Holy Spirit birthed it, but we're not just studying somebody else's church. The Acts 2 church is not them and us, it's just us. We are the church. And if you have your notes, I would love you to write that down, that we are the church that Jesus started. We are the church that Jesus promised. 
We are the church that Jesus led and continues to lead. And thank God for that. He's not given up on his church. Come on, somebody. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, fueled by the Holy Spirit. We are the church. Now, as Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was to come, the, the, the beginnings of the church, the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, he, he spoke. I believe to their anxiety, to their fear, to their worry, their wonder, their questions. Because Jesus was, you know, he was preparing them for his departure. But if you're with Jesus, there's nothing about this thing right now. Jesus, if I'm walking with you, that could make me understand or believe it would be better for me that you would leave than to stay. Right? And, and as I'm hearing Jesus in the call that Jesus is placing upon his people, you and me, but especially those walking with Jesus in the flesh, as I listened to the calling that he was placing upon me, I, I, I think it, it was such a big calling and continues to be such a great calling that, that those disciples were like freaking out inside their hearts and their minds. I don't understand how we can do this. I don't really know how this all makes sense. I don't really know if you should be trusting us the way that you're trusting us, Jesus. And so Jesus speaks to their anxiety, their worry, their wonder. And here's what he says. Hey, I know you're scared. I know this is big for you. It's a lot too big for you. I know you're a bit worried right now. But you will receive power to do everything that I've called you to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But then he follows it up with this because, listen, there's purpose to the power. Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in all the earth. Notice he doesn't say, um, I hope you might become my witnesses in all the earth. Notice Jesus doesn't say, someday maybe you might lean into becoming my witness in all the earth, or some of you are going to become my witnesses in all the earth. He just looks at you and me and he says, No, the purpose of Holy Spirit power is not to make you a better you, it's to make you a better witness. And you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. And if you think it's just to make you a better you, you're missing the biggest part of the vision. Yes, I'm going to transform you by my spirit, but it's not to make you a better you anyway. It's to make you look more like Jesus every day. And if you really want to look like Jesus, guess what, church? You got to step into the calling, the purpose that he's placed upon you, that he's placed upon every single one of us, and that is to be his witness throughout the earth. That's why Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 19, when when he gives what we call the Great Commission, I, I just want you to know it's the word commission, co-mission. He didn't just give it to pastors. Come on. He didn't just give it to church staff. He didn't just give it to some of us. He gave it to all of us. This is a great co-mission. It's great. It's too big for me. It's too big for you. It's too big for us. That's why he's not only given us each other, but he's given us his own Holy Spirit. Jesus said, here's the great co-mission. Go. Don't stay where you are. Go. Step outside your comfort zone. Go. This thing matters too much for you to keep it to yourself. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And because Jesus knows that we're going to face setback and we're going to fall down and we're going to hit roadblocks and there'll be plenty of opposition and struggle and persecution and fear to overcome, the add-on statement is so amazing. He says again, and surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. Jesus is looking at these men, these women. It's like he's saying, hey, let me tell you what to do with that fear and that anxiety and that worry and all the trouble that you're going to face this side of heaven. You can tell all that to go to hell where it belongs because I'm giving you my spirit. I've, I've brought heaven to earth for you to do everything that I've called you to do. And I'm not calling you to do this thing all by yourself. I've given you this family, this church, one another. And I've given you the power of my Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that, that, that my wife has learned about me, I didn't even know this about me, but she, she figured this out about me, is, is that when I get stressed out, um, I, I start watching YouTube and I start searching for Michael Jordan highlight videos. Anybody? Can, <laughs> am I the only one? Like, I, I'm telling you, if you've never tried this, just try it. You get stressed out, start watching Michael Jordan highlight videos. It's just going to make you feel better. You know, you think, does, does Pastor Chad get on his knees and pray when he's stressed out? Does he, does he fast? And No, no, I, I watch Michael Jordan highlight videos. <laughs> and it makes me feel better. But um, imagine if, if, if we were all in, a, in, in, a, in a, an arena together, and the arena was full, and it was being televised on national television all around the world, globally televised, everybody's watching, and God calls you out, and everybody hears God call you out, knows God has called you out, and wants to know what you're going to do next because the call of God is, I want you to step onto the basketball court that's in front of you, and I want you to start right now playing basketball like Michael Jordan played basketball. Anybody, would anybody just be a little bit nervous if you had to step onto a basketball court right now? He didn't even give you a chance to change your shoes. Come on, somebody. Didn't even give you a chance. Just what you're wearing now? With all the practice that you, you've, you've, you've made in this life, you, you're going to step out onto the court and everybody's going to watch you. You're supposed to play like Michael Jordan. Or what if he puts a golf club in your hand and says, I want you to play like, like Tiger Woods, at least used to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, <laughs> like which Tiger Woods? Okay, the, 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 the other one, right? The, the really, really, really good one. Would you get nervous if you had to so suddenly just somebody handed you a golf club and said, play like Tiger Woods, what, what about, you've never driven a, a NASCAR before, but, but God says, this is your car. I want you to drive it like Ricky Bobby. Come on, somebody. <laughs> no practice laps, just drive like Ricky Bobby. Anybody get nervous? Now, I want you to think about this because I wonder if there was some fear in the heart of the disciples when they first heard Jesus say to them, watch this. Very truly, I tell you. Now, we get to read this, so there's some separation here, even though Jesus is still talking to us. Imagine the disciples. Very truly, I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. I'll do whatever you ask in my name. You can ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. He's not asking you to play basketball like Michael Jordan or to golf like Tiger Woods or to drive like Ricky Bobby. He's saying, Jesus is saying, look at me. If you believe in me, 
All the things you've seen me do, turn water to wine, yeah, that. Uh, heal, heal the sick, yeah, that. Open blind eyes, exactly. Cast out some devils, yep. You mean preach like you preach? Absolutely. Teach like you talk? Absolutely. And see the same results? Greater results than you saw come from me. You're going to do everything you saw me do. You're going to do more than you saw me do. You're going to get better results than me. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine how they must have felt hearing for the very first time? Because, listen, we've been given a high calling in Christ. We have a high, high calling in Christ. And for the first time, they're hearing that the purpose to which that, that we've been given is the same purpose for which Jesus came, and that is to reach lost people. It's to make heaven full. It's to see sick people healed, restless people awakened. Come on, the wayward brought home. No wonder we're given Holy Spirit power. No wonder it's the great commission. He didn't just let us go off and try to do this thing all by ourselves. We have each other, the church, and we have his Holy Spirit. Set the captive free. Proclaim freedom for every prisoner. Tell the person who can't walk to get up off your mat. It's time for you to walk today. The purpose that you've been given is the same purpose for which Jesus came. And I want you to understand that there's one thing that Jesus started, but he didn't finish. And he's left, his, he's left the finish up to us. And that is until the whole world knows. You understand, there's one thing that Jesus started, but he didn't finish. He's chosen to give the finish to us. And that's till the whole world knows that Jesus is Lord, that, that Jesus is King. That the whole world would, would know and have opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to, to experience the love of God, to receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God till the whole world knows to make heaven full. That means if you're saved today, you don't have to waste time and wait and wonder, what does God have for me? And I, I get so frustrated sometimes with church people who you've been, a, you've been in church your whole life. You've been a Christian for years and years and years. And it's like, why aren't you doing anything to make heaven full? You, you're not giving anything to make heaven full. You're not sharing your faith. You don't serve on a team and, and if I ask somebody here's what I'll often hear it's like well I'm just kind of waiting like, like God hasn't been real specific with me yes he's been specific while you're waiting on heaven to come to you heaven's already come to you Jesus has already spoken God's word has already been given you don't have to wonder what's God's purpose for my life the biggest part the great purpose to which we've been called together is to tell people what Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do for them. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I just have a feeling that when we, we get to heaven, listen, we're not going to ask the Lord like, hey, hey Jesus, where would you park my sports car? <laughs> But I do have a feeling that we're gonna, we're gonna wonder where, where's my wife? Where, where are my kids? Where's my family? 
See, I'd, ha I'd have to guess today that ain't nobody here trying to get to heaven all by yourself. That when we get to heaven, the people we're going to be looking for are the people we love the most. Where are my parents, my grandparents? Where are my children, my grandkids? Where's my best friend? Where are our neighbors that we every Friday night we, we, we grilled out with? Where are my classmates that I spent so much time with? Where are my coworkers that we went on trips every year together? Nobody's trying to get to heaven alone. And that's why the only mission that Jesus gave us is the only mission that really ought to matter to us. It's to make heaven full. It's to share with the world around us what God has done for us. It's to use our life and everything in our life to share Jesus with as many people in our life as we possibly can. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, are, are we fulfilling the mission or are we failing the mission? And I, I don't really think there's too much in between. Am I fulfilling the mission or am I failing the mission? And I just want to share with you real quickly a few ways that I think sometimes we fail. And at times, I, I've said throughout the series that, that the church, we failed at times. In history, we failed. And, and uh, there, there, are, there, there have been moments where we've not really looked too much like Jesus, right? So we've, we've missed the mark at times as a church. So how have we missed the mark? See, one of the ways I think we fail, and we fail especially today, is when we substitute the love and grace and mercy of God for Facebook rants and billboards and bullhorns. And those things don't bring anybody to Jesus. Come on, church. They, they just push people away. I think we fail when we fight with people and not for people. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he takes it even a step farther and he says, but I tell you, love even your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Stop fighting with people. Start fighting for them. We fail when we, we think of our salvation as something that's only ever meant to be personal and private when, when none of us can even go to a semi-good restaurant without taking a picture of the plate and sharing it on Instagram. Because we need to let somebody know about the half-decent food we just ate, but we've received the greatest gift that's ever been given. Come on, we've received forgiveness of sin, eternal life through Christ, and we pretend like we can keep living through life and not tell anybody. How can you receive the greatest gift ever given by God and not tell anybody what Jesus did for you? We fail when we think the church just exists to meet church people needs. The church isn't a Christian social club for the righteous. We are a hospital for the sick. Jesus said it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so if ever you've wondered, why does Rock City Church exist? Well, we don't exist to feed church people, serve church people, cater to church people. We exist to reach lost people, to bring help and hope and healing to sick people, hurting people and hopeless people. That's why we exist. I think we fail when we think of mission as something for some people sometimes, and it's always in some other part of the world. Some people go to missions trips, go on missions trips. Some, some people give toward missions. But, but we're missing the mark if we don't understand that mission is what we've been called to every day, every moment. It's where I work. It's where I play. It's where I school. It's where I hobby. It's where I live. It's where I walk. Mission. Every day. 
we've been called to mission, to be on mission with Jesus. Let me tell you how we don't fail. We don't fail when we follow Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, when we follow Jesus, it means we live our lives for him. We spend our lives for him. We invest our lives for him to reach the people that we've been called to reach for him until every lost one is found, until every lost hungry person is fed, until every restless person is restored, until every hurting person is healed in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, according to the gospel, according to what I've seen Jesus preach, even if you were the only lost one in the world today, Jesus would have gone to the cross for you. He would have endured what he endured for you. We've been called to a mission to participate with Jesus. And where, where do we get this idea of until every lost one is is found, that, that we are for the one. Jesus in Luke chapter 15, he's talking to some religious people. And, and I have a feeling because Jesus was uh, fully flesh and he was fully man and fully God all at the same time. I, I have a feeling when especially religious people bugged him that every once in a while he just wanted to karate chop somebody in the throat. Anybody? Like, <laughs> I just have to believe that. He didn't do that. But he had to have wanted to, right? He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted. So because I've wanted to do that with some people, then according to the Bible, Jesus must have wanted to. But instead of chopping someone in the Adam's apple, he would, he would teach them. And in Luke chapter 15, he, he tells three back-to-back-to-back stories. I just want to share these with you. We, we've already actually covered this in this series, but it's so important. I'm going to end the whole series with this. Luke 15, Jesus said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Greek translation, literally, it can be interpreted like this. Which, which of you, being a shepherd of a hundred sheep, would lose one? And, and to the shepherds hearing Jesus, that their first reaction would have been, we don't lose sheep. Why? Because we love them. Because we care for them. Because we, 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 we understand our responsibility is shepherds. But Jesus says, yeah, but what if? Well, then it's probably not my fault, Jesus. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. What if? Does he not leave the 99 in the open country, go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and family together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over that amazing worship night y'all just had on Thursday night. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the best church service you thought you ever had. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person found than over the best church potluck. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person found than over anything those 99 could do for me or with me or whatever. Jesus is saying, I just want you to understand that you too have been called just like 
This shepherd has been called to care for the sheep and the flock. And if one gets lost, he goes out after them. You too have been called. We have been called to participate with Jesus on this great rescue mission to seek and save the lost. We've been called to participate with him, this co-mission with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and with the church of Jesus Christ to find people who are lost. And Jesus tells a second story. He says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. The same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Like heaven throws a party just every single time one person says, I need you. Jesus, And I got to thinking about what, why Jesus would tell the same story, and, but a little different every time, and, and why he was using these different analogies. And I got to thinking about what could be the difference between a coin and a sheep. Both are lost. Both have owners that are looking for them. But what's the difference? And I have to wonder if one of the differences is that a sheep, when a sheep is lost, she knows she's lost. He knows he's lost. There's a piece of home inside of them. They, 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 they don't know how to get to home. There's a, there's a restlessness inside of them. They, they know that they don't have the joy that they were created to have, and they're, they're living without the peace they know is available. They just don't know where it's available. I'm lost, and I know that I'm lost. I just don't really know how to find my way home. A coin doesn't know that he's lost. And I think it's just Jesus Driving home the idea that I've come, he said in Luke 19, verse 10, I've come to seek and save the lost. And I just want you to know that, that if you really want to understand your purpose, it's this. is to participate with me. This commission that I've given you. To love people who know they're lost. Love people who don't know they're lost. Just, just be Jesus to everybody that you can. And then he says, suppose a man has two sons and one of his sons decides to run off. He decides to leave the home. He's wayward and he's proud of it. While the young man wanders off and he strays and he squanders his inheritance, Jesus says this young man realizes he's made a mess of himself. And he starts to thinking about could I make my way home? I know where home is, but, but he's, he's convinced himself because he's screwed up so badly. He's convinced himself that he's no longer worthy to be called his father's son. And so he thinks to himself, when I get home and I see my dad, if I could just convince my dad to allow me to be his servant. Because I don't deserve to be his son. But Jesus, as he's telling the story, he says, as, as the son is still a long ways off, the father sees him while he's a long way off. And in, instead of pointing fingers at his son or, or telling the family to come together, here, here comes your bonehead brother. You know, here comes the, here comes the wayward one. Let's, let's, let him, let's give him a piece of our minds when he walks through the doors. Let, let's remind him of all the bad decisions he's made. Looks like he doesn't look too good. Good. I'm glad you don't look too good. I told you not to wander. I, I told you to listen to your dad. I, I told you not to stray from the word of God. I told you what sin was going to do in your life. I told you how it was going to make you feel. But Jesus says that's not the dad's heart. 
Because while his son is still a long way off, the dad, he doesn't wait for the son to even get to him. He just starts running after his son. And when he gets to him, he throws his arms around him and he brings him in and he embraces the son and he he kisses the son. And he just wants his son to know, I love you and I've never stopped loving you. And I've been waiting for you to come home and I've never stopped waiting. And I've, I've I've been sitting on the front porch looking and looking and looking. Church, I just want you to know that we are called to welcome home with open arms the wayward. Not to kick people when they're down. Not to push people out when they they stumble and fall. I I, I strayed at times in my walk. I've strayed. I've wandered, especially when I was younger and trying to figure this whole thing out. I still don't have it figured out. But but there were times when I didn't look anything like Jesus. And I I, I knew I was not living right. Can I just tell you that what brought me back wasn't church people pushing me away, reminding me how unchristlike I, I looked and telling me all the, the things they could see wrong in my life. It, it wasn't that, and it wasn't a family who treated me that way, and it wasn't a God who treated me that way either. It was people who just continued to love me, who opened their arms to me loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved, who welcomed me in when I smelled like trash. The thing that I love about God is the reason I love him, the reason we love church is because he first loved us. What makes me love God so much is that that while I was the most unlovable, he loved me. When I least deserved it, he went to the cross for me. While I was neck deep in my sin, more than neck deep in sin, Jesus just looked at me, not with a judgmental heart, but with a loving heart. And he left the comfort of his throne in heaven to step down into the the mud and the dirt and the mire of my life just so that he could lift me out. I don't know, maybe you've never heard this before, but I just want you to know today that God loves you. And maybe you've been wayward. Maybe you've made a mess of you. And maybe... Maybe you would even consider yourself not worthy to be called a son, a daughter of God Most High. But I want you to know he's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not ready to condemn you. Come on, he loves you. He's got grace for you. He's got healing for you. He's got restoration for you. He's got purpose for you. He's got a future for you. He's got hope for you in Jesus' name. He wasn't waiting for you to walk through the doors of a church so that he could put you down. He's been waiting for you to come home so he could welcome you home. So that he can make you whole again, healed again. He wants you to be free. He wants you to know freedom, walk in freedom, be filled with peace, be filled with hope and full of hope so much so that you can't keep it all to yourself, but that you would step into the purpose that he has for you and begin to share what Jesus is doing for you now with the person in your life you know is desperate for him. Everybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Think about that. Everybody. So here's what I want us to do. Don't nobody leave. We're, we're going to do baptisms, but, but don't nobody leave. We'll, you have plenty of time to, to be baptized. I just want you to close your eyes right now. 
And I just want us to take this moment together. Some of us is to, to get right again. Some of us is, we, we just keep falling back. Coming to, falling back. Coming home, running away from home. Some of us, we've never been welcomed home before. We've never been saved. We've never been forgiven. This is going to be the first time for some. It's going to be a recommitment for others. But I just want us to pray right now. Say, Jesus, here I am. I trust you as Savior and Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose to follow you, to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, everybody send. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Now here's what I want us to do. Would you stand up on your feet? Every location right now, would you stand up? Don't nobody walk out yet. Just stand up. Listen to the words of Peter. First day that the church was born. Come on. Acts chapter 2. Still in Acts chapter 2. First message. What's the first message preached? Peter says this. I don't know what else to say, but repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, just like we just did, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song. It's about three and a half minutes long, and then there'll be one more song after that, just to make room for the baptisms. But, but between now and the end of this first song, if you'd like to be water baptized... As we start to sing and worship, I just want to encourage you to make your way out of one of the aisles. As soon as we start to sing, walk right out the back of the auditorium. We have volunteers ready for you, clean clothes, warm clothes, warm towels ready for you. We're going we're gonna to step into this thing together. But if you've never been water baptized, if you've been following Jesus for a day or for 10 years, it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you to take this step of faith. I believe heaven is open when we, when we walk and step in simple obedience. And I think today can be a day that you will never forget for the rest of your life if you would just step into what I believe God wants you to step into today. So as we begin to sing and as we begin to worship right now, come on, would you just lift up your hands to Jesus and say, thank you. Today's my day. Come on. Thank you. You're worthy of my praise. Thank you. King of kings and Lord of lords, we celebrate you in heaven for the good things you've done, for what you're doing here now. We honor you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. And now we step in obedience. We walk with you, Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, name